0: Welcome, Barbara, from the Animal Interfaith Alliance. We're so happy to have you here chatting with us today.
1: I'm delighted to be here. Thank you.
2: Amazing. So could you maybe start off um, for the listeners, giving us a little bit more insight on why AIA started, how it started, what kind of the purposes of your organization? And yeah, could you give us a bit more information on that?
0: Yes, certainly.
1: Um, AIA was founded in 2014. um, And it's an alliance of faith based animal advocacy organisations. And we felt that by being a united voice, we could do more to help animals by than by um, just doing our own things individually. So it was really to strengthen the movement. And I think politicians are very keen on promoting interfaith um, work and also perhaps reluctant to criticize the faiths. Um, So we felt, you know, that by having an alliance, an interfaith alliance of animal advocacy organizations, we could be a stronger voice for animals.
2: And what are some of the, the partners that are in this alliance?
1: We've got partners from various faiths. Um, we have, so we have um, quite a lot from the Jane um, uh, faiths. We have the Young Janes. We have the Oshawa um, Association for um, the Oshawa, well, sorry, the Oshwal Association. <laughs> um, we also have Quite a few. We have the Buddhists, we have Dharma Voices for Animals, we have Jewish, the Jewish Vegetarian Society, um, a number of different Christian organizations. So we have Catholics with Catholic concern for animal, Um, we've got the Anglican Society for Animal Welfare. A Quaker concern for animals. Um, we also have um, the All Creatures as a new member who joined us last week, and they're based in the US. Mm-hmm. As are the Compassion Consortium, um, who were a new member a few months ago, um, also based in the US.
2: Interesting. So the idea was primarily to to basically group all these smaller, I don't know if they're small, but all these smaller individual um, partners and organizations. And yeah, basically bring it all together so that the the voice is stronger, you can possibly make more impact that way.
1: That's right. And some of them are are quite, quite large Um, Catholic concern for animals, Dharma voices for animals. They're quite large organizations in themselves. But certainly we felt we could have a more critical mass by by working together.
2: So you mentioned previously that you guys are working on getting animals and the UN's um, sustainable development goals, the 2030 goals. Could you tell us that's quite interesting and that seems like quite a, a big goal and, and achievement if it if it works as well? So could you tell us a little bit more about that project, how that is going and kind of the the different steps you and your organizations are taking to to work towards that goal?
1: Yes, certainly. Um, I mean, we feel that with animal welfare, if you have a top down approach, um, so if you can get animals recognized right at the very top, Um, whether that's in sort of politics within faith organisations, then that should filter down. Um, So that's really why we want to get animals on the agenda of the United Nations. Um, We wanted two things. Firstly, was to have a convention on animal protection uh, at the United Nations, like you have a convention on on women's rights and the convention on the rights of the child, There's nothing there yet for for animals, Um, but also, as you say, the sustainable development goals, um, they're being reassessed for a new set in 2030 and we feel that we could firstly have an individual sustainable development goal for animals but also to recognize animals within the existing sustainable development goals um, more than is currently the case.
2: Interesting. So speaking of all these projects, you're doing probably quite a lot of them and have done quite a lot of them since you, you started. What are some, for you personally, perhaps, what are some of the projects that you can remember that you're most proud of, maybe?
1: Oh, goodness. (laughs) Um, I think probably the one we're most proud of is our education project, um, which we've recently completed. It's taken quite a long time to put it together. But it's basically um, to provide curriculum materials for the religious education um, curriculum in schools, starting with the United Kingdom, but hopefully also going beyond that. Um, So basically it does two things. It recognises veganism as an ethical um, philosophy and belief. um, And that's... You know, it's something we should be teaching in RE because RE is trying to have more of a worldview approach. So it's not just about faith, it's about worldviews. And ethical veganism is classed as a worldview um, and is protected under European law and um, in the UK, the Equality Act 2010. Um, and Humanism is taught in RE, um, religious education, as a philosophical belief, and so we can see no reason why ethical veganism shouldn't be taught as well. So there's that side of it. But there's also the um, focus on compassion for animals and extending the golden rule um, to include all animals. So, you know, don't do to others what you wouldn't want done to yourself. Um, You know, we don't feel that that is just about humans. It's about all sentient beings. And if you look at the texts of many of the, the faiths, that's already there. Many of the faiths are already very concerned about animals and did include them in their um, circle of compassion. And I think that's been forgotten uh, to a large extent today in many faiths. And, you know, we want to remind people of the, the actual teachings um, that include that.
0: And as, as you were saying this, and when you shared this, this initiative, uh, veganism and in education, it's such a unique take on exposing veganism because it tends to have a negative connotation in the media. Veganism, some people still react very closed off to it, and I think this approach you guys are taking um, through religion, where it's not uh, showing people harsh images of animals in farms or or the health benefits, you guys are taking a completely different approach. And would you think that the key to, to helping animals is, is, is this? Do you think, how did you come up with this idea? I'm, I'm just curious. <laughs> uh, I, I
1: think you can take various approaches. So I think, you know, the fairly hard line campaigning has a very important role. I think a lot of people who've seen films such as Earthlings um, have been changed by that. And I know there's some quite graphic images in films like that, um, Cowspiracy and other things. And so I think that's very important and it has a role to play. But I don't think it's the only thing we can do. And like you say, certainly some people are put off. They don't want to see things like that. Um, And some people feel affronted, especially if you talk about their, you know, personal behaviours. So you're saying, you know, you're you're doing the wrong thing because you eat meat, Um, whereas many people haven't perhaps thought about it. They've always done it. They've been taught by their parents to do it. Um, So that can be quite um, an offensive thing for for many people. So we really want to also have the, the softly, softly approach to say, you know, well, think about animals, think about them as sentient beings, think about what the um, the texts say in the various religions um, and just let leave it for them to form their own views.
0: Yeah, I think that's, um, sorry, sorry. That, well, that's the best
1: approach. <laughs> one of the things about the um, RE materials is it doesn't say, you know, thou shalt do this or that. It's there to be critical and objective and to encourage pupils to to think and debate and critically analyze and and to come up with their own conclusions.
0: Yeah, and and I think that's what makes those resources so unique. So my question is for organizations that they want to help animals, they want to make a difference what advice would you give them on how to come up with valuable resources that can help their cause?
1: Um, oh, that's a very good question. And um, certainly we would be very happy for organizations to share our resources, you know, with, they're not um, private. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they've got copyright, but they're free. And we're very happy for people to share that. Um, But this is just the start in RE um, for our sister organisation, Veganism in Education, who who we've been working on with this. Um, They've worked with us on the RE side because we are You know, an interfaith organisation, but they will be working in other areas of education that aren't religious education. So, for example, biology um, and the arts and poetry and literature. Um, So a whole lot of areas where this kind of um, educational, uh, critical thinking approach to how we um, see our relationship with animals um, develop
0: and throughout your your time in the alliance has have you experienced any pushback any from from people that maybe come across your your um resources or yeah has there anyone maybe said something that yeah that made you want to change a little bit how you did <laughs> your your work
1: um nobody's made us want to change our work no um and to be honest, these education materials are fairly new, so we haven't had much pushback yet. But when we are expecting it, I mean, I would expect there will be certain parents of children saying, oh, "We don't want our children to learn this." And I, our argument would be, "Well, it's just a view, and we're teaching your schools teaching a whole range of views, and it's up to your child to make an informed decision." Um, And also because there are vegans in their classroom, there will be, you know, many vegans around. People need to understand each other. It's not just about understanding the animals. It's understanding um, people of other faiths. So in RE, it's supposed to be pluralistic. So it teaches about faiths of all sorts to, to understand Uh, class members and and people of society generally from different faiths but also from different beliefs um, such as humanism or ethical veganism. I think where we have had um, pushback sometimes we may have put something out on social media about um, vegan food and you get the usual sort of I like my bacon (laughs) but we we expect that.
2: There's always going to be other people who have different worldviews. And that's what I find quite interesting about this whole project is that it doesn't teach you or teach people or kids um to be vegan, but it teaching teaches them the purpose is to teach them how to think critically, how to think for themselves so that they can make their own decisions. And absolutely. That's very interesting and that's a very good approach, I feel like.
0: Yeah. And and going off what Victor said, I think when you present veganism in this manner, in a very pragmatic way, the same with religion, I think it's very important because you, you experience the same pushback when you are trying to impose a certain religion on a child and I think the approach of we need to study this in school in a controlled environment where there's open conversation, I think that's a great way of spreading the message. And yeah, I think, yeah, I just wanted to say that, that it's, it's you see the value in what you're doing, what your organization is doing.
2: Oh, thank you. So you just mentioned something about um, social media. We, we've looked into that. You obviously, you guys are quite active on social media and different ways of communicating with your your audience so what goes into that what what, is that your role perhaps is that someone else in the organization who who does that or what is kind of the plan to you've got these great ideas and then it's good to have a good idea but then the next thing is obviously to to communicate it effectively to the people who are looking for good ideas and who are looking who need this message basically so what is kind of the approach to that
1: um yes i mean we <laughs> we tend to um approach people directly rather than generally through social media so we'll sort of target who we want to approach so it might be um if we're doing a campaign on there's one on at the moment in the uk to ban trophy hunting for example um there's lots of organized and welfare organizations who are advertising that to the public we might be more likely to write letters to MPs to say you need to be in the Houses of Parliament to um, approve this bill. Um, Yes, we will mention it on social media and say to people, write to your MP about this. But I think our approach is much more sort of targeting the people who can make the difference.
2: Yeah, so more the decision makers on on a higher level. Is that what you mean? It is.
1: It doesn't mean we we wouldn't sort of put things out generally for information um, on social media. And we do do that. And then our member organisations will, um, you know, will disseminate that. In fact, one thing we're doing at the moment, um, we've just launched this week, (laughs) um, is a petition Um, to ask the CEOs of GlaxoSmithKline and AstraZeneca, the pharmaceutical companies, to make more progress in replacing animal experiments with human relevant um, test methods. You know, we feel that um, a lot has been developed in the last couple of years, particularly, which could replace animals, which was something, you know, we weren't allowed to even talk about a few years ago because it was considered, you know, experimenting on animals helps human health and yeah in the past maybe that was the case Um, but we feel now with technology as it is um, we can move on from that you know that should be a thing of the past now there are 21st century technologies available and it's really down to the will of the the pharmaceutical companies and the researchers to to make that change and start to use some of these alternatives. So anyway, back to the social media. Um, we have this petition that's going around on social media, started this weekend, to get signatures um, to support the letter, because when we originally wrote to Glaxo Smith Klein and AstraZeneca, they didn't respond. Um, we feel if we have enough signatures um behind the letter, we can um encourage them to respond anyway.
2: So for an outsider, this this might be kind of a weird question, but I was just thinking about it. I've never done such a thing before. How do you go about emailing or writing a letter to the CEO of one of these huge pharmaceutical companies? Is a do you just sit behind your laptop and write an email or is a do you Do you work on on a, on a very formal letter for a week and I'm, I'm just curious how that process goes
1: well <laughs> it's a good question um, we have he's now our chair has been a director for some time dr andre Manash who's very well qualified in this area um, initially he was qualified as a vet um, and he's done a lot of work in the field of um, Uh, you know replacement technologies so he has written the letter with all his technical know-how that I certainly wouldn't have and probably no one else um, within AIA has that knowledge so we've been very lucky to have him on board Um, so yes I would say if you're going to do something like that find an expert um because you know these people you're you're writing to um they're experts and you, you need somebody who can sort of robustly stand up to them.
2: Yeah. Someone who's credible and who has a, a track record of, yeah, an expert, basically, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. Cause if, if I would write in a, an email to them, like, Hey, Mr. CEO, um, I would like, if you reduce the tests on animals and maybe move towards um a, more sophisticated tests that don't involve animals they would never respond but I'm just trying to paint the picture here but if you really know what you're talking about they
1: probably wouldn't respond and they didn't respond to us initially but also they would come back as if you didn't know what you were talking about because there are all these reasons why they have to experiment on animals and that's where say someone like me would probably come unstuck but having an expert who can say, no, you know, I know about this and um, you can do these tests in this other way. Um, that's what you really need. So you can have a robust debate following the letter.
2: Yeah, that, that's that's super interesting. Thank you. for that. I didn't know if that was a good question, but it was just <laughs> something that I really wanted to know.
1: No, it's a very good question, because I think everybody wants to write to people like that and say, stop testing on animals, you know, yeah. but um, you've got to give them the alternatives and and um, have the expertise, which is the difficult thing.
2: Maybe, maybe it's even less about telling them what to do or what not to do, but more in a way to just help them and advise them like, hey, you know, there's other ways you could be doing this and really just act like an advisor almost and um absolutely yes interesting so back to the petition you are gathering a lot of signatures um there's obviously you know you and also your your partner organizations have um multiple online uh, communities i guess how did you you and and again the partner um organizations build up what are some of the the keys to building a successful um, community online and that people actually follow you, follow your cause and and want to help.
1: Um, I think starting by targeting the people who are interested. Um, I think by sharing and certainly one of the advantages of being an alliance is we can all share each other's posts and, um, you know, Disseminate them further that way, mm-hmm. so yes, I mean, we try to grow organically um where we can
0: so a lot of um basically you depend on community, so you would say community work elevates your your cause, you're not just closed off and doing things in your in a i a s method, you're more into collaboration
1: absolutely, yes,
2: yes, definitely. So, what are some of the I really admired the, the projects that you you're undertaking, and and this pick again with the the animals on the UN's agenda. That's it seems to me like quite ambitious projects. And emailing the CEO, what are some of the the steps that makes that makes you do it successfully? Because a lot of people, like we discussed may want to send an email to that person or the ceo or may want to start their first campaign or their first first nonprofit even what are some of the keys that makes you and your organization so successful in doing this
1: um well <laughs> Early days so for example with the petition um, and the the letter we've it's still in the very early phases so um, we don't know that it'll be successful yet <clears throat> but um, w- the way we've planned it is hopefully to make it give it the best chance of success um, as we've spoken about have an expert on boards um, get the, the numbers of uh, you know supporters on the petition behind you um yes um and also in terms of the united nations it's going to be a very ambitious thing that we do but we um you know we we communicate with them um we've joined the world federation of animals who are um trying to put animals onto the United Nations agenda themselves, um, as well as other major international institutions. But we hope to, rather than replicate what they do, support them by going down the faith um, route. There's the a um, uh, Faith for Earth, which is part of the United Nations, um, part of the UNEP, um, the united nations environment program and you know we communicate with them and we try and work with them we think they're very open-minded to animals and to to focus on the things that are unique to us i.e the faith side um so that's how we're we're hoping to do it <laughs>
2: <laughs> what are as a kind of a final question but what are some of the things that you're now working on or one of uh, some of the object, uh, the objectives for the next, maybe say five years or 10 years, like what is it going what are you going to do in the future? Basically, what are the plans? Mm. <laughs>
1: That's a good question. Well, we have a five year strategy from 2022 to 2026 um, which outlines eight major ambitions Um, some of which we've we've discussed already. So, for example, getting animals on the agenda of the United Nations in terms of the UN Convention and the Sustainable Development Goals and the um, replacement of animals in testing um, with alternatives or human-relevant test methods, um, we're also working on <clears throat> putting animals onto the agenda of the Parliament of the World Religions. Um, we want to see an end to factory farming. Um, we want to put animals on the agenda of ethical finance. So there. So, for example, excuse me, <clears throat> I've had the flu a few weeks ago.
2: Oh yes, really?
1: coming back. Um, so. There's a a number of ethical investment organisations that will invest ethically in terms of the environment. So, for example, um, they won't invest in um, petroleum products whatever. But we think you can do more with animals, you know, investment um, organisations that don't invest in factory farming, for example, or who do invest in alternative meats. Um, There is one, the Vegan Climate Fund, um, which has been set up in the US, which looks very promising. And, you know, we'd like to see some
2: more of those. Interesting. Thank you so much. Um, Very last question, where if people want to learn a little bit more about your organization, what you do, your upcoming projects, where can people go? where, Where can they find a bit more information?
1: Yes, good question. The website, I'd say, is the best place to start. Um, if you go to our website, which, well, if you Google Animal Interface Alliance, uh, you, you should find it. Um, you can, you know, follow us on social media as well, um, and you could sign up for our newsletter. So, yes.
2: All right. Well, great. thank you so much. It was lovely to speak with you and thank you for your time. And it was great to get some more insight in how everything works and what you're up to. And I think you're doing extremely uh, incredible work. And I, yeah,
0: yeah, unique approach, which yeah. we're excited oh, to see Thank how you. how you guys continue. <laughs>